0: I've launched into this series on the four cardinal virtues. The word cardinal comes from the Latin cardo, which means a hinge, like a hinge of a door. And so the cardinal virtues are the hinges on which life swings, and particularly the moral life swings. I am starting today with prudence, All right. Prudence is the first among the cardinal virtues. Always mentioned first in philosophy and theology. And first dealt with primarily because it has to do with how you think. It is action, but it's about your mind, how you process things, how you get to the conclusions and the choices. That you make. So the theologians place prudence above all other virtues. Because without it, the others cannot attain their ends. Prudence is related to wisdom. Wisdom is theoretical, somebody said. The Greek word Sophia. It's the ivory tower kind of thinking is how they pictured it. Prudence is street smarts. You cannot separate prudence from your own particular time and place and difficulty and situation. Prudence is about you, where you are in life, the issues that confront you, the relationships you're seeking to maintain and grow. It's about you, and we can't pull that particular circumstance out. In the case of prudence, it's you knowing your way around in your world and knowing how to get to the good, the true and the right by the best means available. I want young people to catch the idea of prudence, but I despair a little bit because it's not a common word in our vocabulary One of the staff people said, oh, yeah, prudence, a prude. No, prudence does not mean you're a prude. That's kind of negative. I was with a man this last week for whom prudence is a key word. And he, in my relationship with him of these years, he has brought it up and talked about the prudent thing to do. And he is a man of wisdom. Charlie Wise used to tell me, David, don't lift that thing with your back. Lift it with your legs. Anybody ever tell you that? Well, I was his pastor at 28 years old, and I thought I was indestructible when I was 28. And I thought, I'll lift this any way I want to. <laughs> but as I've grown older, i realized Charlie Wise was right. I need to use my legs to lift. I'll last longer. And now at almost 90, he gets up every morning and walks three miles. He's doing good. He's being prudent. I have some pictures here to show you the opposite of prudence. All right? Now, (laughs) is that really the prudent thing to do? Yeah, that could be a four-by-four. It's not a two-by-four. And again, really? Is this wise? And again, I know you can put a ladder in a bucket. But even if you could, should you? That would be better than this, though. I'm telling you, we do imprudent things, do we not? That actually came from a series of pictures on why women live longer. (laughs) One of my friends wanted to put a picture of me on my roof with a 100-foot roof rope tied around my waist and the other end tied to the Highlander's luggage rack. I threw it over the roof so I could do the pendulum and swing over and fix a vent. And he said, "Uh, you know what, you shouldn't have been doing that. And now that I reflect back on it, somebody could have jumped in the Highlander and taken off (laughs) with me tied to the other end. I mean, maybe that wasn't very prudent. In fact, I want to be more prudent. I really do. I want to be a prudent person. And I struggle with it a little bit. So don't expect now this morning that you are looking at the guy who has achieved it, okay? I'm struggling to get there just like everybody else. Prudence is built from the word province, which means to foresee. It's you being able to look ahead and see the consequence of your choice and your action in the here and now and what price you will pay or what benefits you will gain by doing the right thing in this moment. We really can't do without it. When I began to explore in my mind the Scriptures and think, where in the Scriptures do I see Jesus acting with prudence, weighing the facts and the circumstances, and making a decision? I decided to go to his baptism in Matthew chapter 3. So I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, and look at verse 13. It's a familiar text. It's one that I love. I've had it in my mind and heart for years and years. It is an interchange with John the Baptist. Who is baptizing people. He is the forerunner of Jesus as well as his second cousin. And he's about six months older than Jesus. He's begun to preach out in the wilderness and throngs of people are starting to come to hear John preaching at the Jordan River. And Jesus is about to launch his public ministry. This is going to be, in a way, the launch pad. Not in Jerusalem, but down at the Jordan. Not in the steps of the temple, but down at the river. Not among the rabbis, but with this renegade preacher. Jesus is going to go and launch the ministry that will change the world. Look what happens. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying i need to be baptized by you and you come to me jesus replied let it be so now it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness then john consented As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God announces his pleasure in his son Jesus at his baptism. Of all the places where he could have spoken from heaven... The miracles that he did, walking on the water, stilling the storm, feeding the 5,000. It is when he is dripping wet coming out of the Jordan that the Father booms from heaven. This is my son. I love him. He pleases me. And he does so. At the moment of a disagreement between the other most spirit-filled person on the planet, John the Baptist who since his conception has been sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said of John, no greater man on earth than John the Baptist. And here we have a little conversation, a difference of opinion, about what they ought to do in this moment. Now here's a distinction I want you to make in your mind And if you do your own study on prudence, you're going to discover this. And if you're not careful, you can start equating prudence with being crafty or shrewd. Neither of those words has the good in mind. They are self-serving. And for some, prudence has been emptied of all its moral value, and it's not really a virtue anymore for some. It's just, if I get out at the end of the day and I've made more money than the next man, I've been prudent. It's a self-serving kind of word. It's not been that historically. So I want to anchor it in this. Prudence does what is right. Prudence seeks the good. Jesus has this in his heart, as you know. All along and throughout his life, Jesus wants to do the right thing, the good thing, the thing that expresses his love of the Father and his love of neighbor. So Jesus is always doing that, and and when he has this exchange with John, he says, permit it to be this way now. It is proper for us to do this. It's the right thing. It fits. It is becoming, Jesus is saying, it's becoming for us to do this. And prudence will become you, by the way. You're going to look better as a prudent person than an imprudent one. Jesus says, let's have it this way now to do everything that is right. To fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill the standard of the Father. Let's do what's right. You baptize me. I would submit to you that you start here. That you have this basic love of God and love of neighbor in your soul that is an unshakable foundation for every decision that you make that you never make a decision just that is self-serving. It's not only about you, it's the people who are connected to you, the people who are around you, who trust you and depend upon you. So a prudent person is looking for the good, the beautiful, the becoming, the fitting, and the true in the circumstance that not only benefits them, though it might and often should, but that benefits everybody involved. It is looking for what is right. This is a fundamental for your character. Your choices come and go. Your character stays steady. People of character are the people you want to hire at your place of business. You want to have them on your team. People who are steadied by foundational principles that do not move. And the foundation of a prudent man and a prudent woman is this desire to do what is right, to fulfill all righteousness. If we depart from this, we depart from prudence, Even if we get rich quick. Even if the business doesn't fail. Even if it succeeds. You can get what you want and find out you don't want what you got. You can surrender your principles and your character and perhaps achieve a fleeting goal, a fleeting advantage. But in the end, If you compromise who you are in the Lordship of Christ, you lose. People will put pressure on you to make decisions that you know do not conform to the Lordship of Christ in your life. They are dishonest. They are subversive. Maybe they are even destructive and hurtful of other people. And they will place it upon you as the burden of responsibility for you to make these decisions. A prudent person in business or education or medicine, a prudent person will say, Jesus is my Lord. I am seeking to do what is right. This is fundamental to me. Now, here's the second thing that prudence does that I want you to get a hold of, okay? Prudence seeks To know the facts. I can't emphasize enough with you as a child of God in a complex society with technology all around how important it is for you when you speak up to speak from a position of thoughtful study. Where you are not just saying the last thing you heard, repeating the last sound bite you heard on radio or television. But you yourself have processed things. I don't believe that a follower of Jesus ought to be intellectually lazy, particularly in our time, when there is so much going on all around us and choices are difficult. We need to be serious about knowing of what we speak. There is a difference about the facts when Jesus comes to John. From John's point of view, the facts are these. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the greatest person on the planet. John is much less of a figure than Jesus. He's going to decrease while Jesus increases. He has a baptism of repentance that doesn't seem to fit Jesus. That's why he volunteers, hey Jesus, why don't you baptize me? I'm a sinner. I have to repent, but but you're the perfect Lamb of God. So John is thinking, this doesn't fit. It's not right. I think the blind spot in John's view of this is this. He does not understand the humility of the Savior or even the humility of God. Jesus confused Peter one time by wanting to wash Peter's feet. And Peter protested, just like John the Baptist did, and said, no way! You're not washing my feet! With both Peter and John the Baptist, they have missed this truth that Jesus is the humble servant That he has laid aside his divine prerogatives. He has taken upon himself the form of a servant. He has emptied himself. And And it fits with the character of God for Jesus to be humbly baptized by the lesser one, John the Baptist. You would think... That a decision this close, where John the Baptist is on one side and Jesus is on the other, that it'd be kind of gray. Not so. After John baptizes Jesus, sets aside his concerns and consents, God the Father speaks from heaven and says, I am pleased with my son. I love him. If there was ever a validation of a decision... It was on the banks of the Jordan that day when Jesus heard from heaven of the pleasure of the Father. Our decisions sometimes seem to be very close and tight. Should I do A or should I do B? But in the end, if we step back and examine the true nature of things, it becomes clear what we must do as followers of Jesus. As a parent, I thought I knew the facts. And so I disciplined Rebecca pretty well. A little bit later, I found out the true facts. And I went back to my 9 or 10-year-old and I said, Rebecca, your dad made a mistake. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I went to my child and asked for her forgiveness because in my haste and my anger, I thought I knew how things were and I acted on my knowledge and it was incomplete. And standing back, I knew I should have examined it further but I was angry and I was hasty and anger made me jump to a conclusion and I remember when I was a boy how somebody disciplined me wrongly and when they found out they said well you were guilty of something <laughs> not a great comfort to me you know <laughs> are we all guilty of something yes Prudence takes the time to know the facts. I sat in a room with a social worker, a chaplain, a neurologist, an ICU physician. And everybody around the table shared their perspective on the situation. And together we exchanged ideas, the family shared what they thought the scientist shared what he discovered and predicted it is important to know the science it is imprudent not to discover the facts but once you know the science you don't necessarily know the decision yet because there are other perspectives On the problem. There are some things science can do. That it should not do. And who makes that call? A prudent man. Receives the facts. And weighs them. And makes a decision. That is right. At this time. And in this place. Now, prudence involves both mind and motion. It is both you thinking about the issue at hand and moving to act. Prudence is not cowardice, it's not the opposite of courage. Prudence is not just caution. A prudent man may act quickly and speedily, seeing the situation and knowing what he must do. You want prudence in your corner, in every situation. Prudence involves you taking the facts and making the decision that is proper. Now, I want you to note what Jesus says here. John, you see the facts in a certain way. I see them in a little bit different way. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to permit it to be this way now. It is proper... And fitting for us to do this now, to fulfill all righteousness. One day, it won't be necessary to baptize me. In another situation, it wouldn't fit. But in this situation, at this time, it fits just right. Prudence takes into account the circumstance. And that's what's so difficult about it. You have to come to the situation and the decision with this commitment to the Lordship of Christ, with the desire to love God and love neighbor, and the desire to do what is right and good and true, and in the midst of it, apply it to a situation that has come out of something else and will go to something else, and you know it. Some of you are at a crossroads And you were trying to make a choice. I spoke to a rescue mission director. When I was a young preacher, I was 25 years old. I had a church with 800 members in East Texas. It was the largest church anybody had for a man my age, I think, in the state. And I was talking to him about whether I should come to seminary or not. It was a life-changing decision for me to resign that church and come to seminary. And Brother Charles Root, who's now gone on to heaven, entered into this conversation. He never went to seminary. He told me, David, God can't use What you don't have. That's a direct quote. I was trying to make a decision and I was in a dilemma, and a godly counselor said, God can't use what you don't have. He could see me as a 25 year old. I was always in a hurry. I wanted to get life done. That's me pedal to the metal, let's go. I didn't think I had the time to go and prepare and go to class again. Life was too urgent for me. I just didn't have the time. But from his perspective, he could look at me and see God could use a seminary education in this young man's life. And he encouraged me to do it. And Janet and I had a life change at that time that has sustained us all the way to this hour. It's made life different to make that decision. I'm glad I had the counsel of a prudent person who knew where I was on the timeline better than I did and probably understood the issues better than I did. And at least I had enough sense to listen to what he said. God is inviting you into a dialogue that involves Scripture, that involves you staying attuned to what He's speaking to your heart, that involves your character, how, are you, how you are growing morally and spiritually as a human being. It involves you and honesty and integrity and high Christian values. God has invited you into this dialogue in order to increase your effectiveness for the kingdom to make you a better instrument of His grace. And He's challenging you to take on the task of bringing wisdom into your heart through His Word, of taking time to know the facts, putting your mind in motion under the Lordship of Christ and acting in accordance with prudence. You say... Who wins if I am a prudent person? Your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, and everybody that you love. Today is uh, the celebration across the country of Martin Luther King's birthday. And I was thinking about prudence in the context of Martin Luther King and his crusade against segregation in these United States. And there were those of his colleagues who said, it is imprudent of you. You can rise above segregation. You have the intellect, you have the oratorical skills. It is not necessary for you to take on this cause and end up in jail. And Martin Luther King's response was, I think, the response of courage, but also the response of prudence, an opportunity to change something that was truly unjust in a great country that needed to make a change. Prudence does not make you Less courageous and able to change your world. It gives you the wisdom to know when it is courage and when it is reckless. When is it proper? When is it right? When does it fit to make this move that will change your world and the world of those you love? I challenge you to pray for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in the choice that you're facing. I challenge you in your vocation and your family in your parenting and your business and even in your benevolence to be prudent. You have to give credit to Anna. She wants us to do our benevolence with prudence. Anna Palmer. And she will talk about what really helps when somebody is in need. What really lifts them up. What really is best. And she keeps us on task with that. Even in the case of benevolence, of trying to be good to somebody else, we need to be prudent. Now, prudence has in part... I want you to hear me on this, falling out of the vocabulary of Baptists. Because some of us think it is the righteous thing to do to exit out of the public sphere, to leave politics, and not get involved and not get your hands dirty. And maybe that's the case even in your corporation or your business or in your educational circles. You've decided you're going to exit and not be part of it because you don't want to get your hands dirty. And I had a friend who told me that if you get involved in a political situation, he said it's, it's almost inevitable that there's going to be some evil, some hurt, some bad that starts to connect to that system. Human beings create systems. They crea- create organizations. It's the way we unite our efforts to get things done in the world. We create communities that seek to achieve goals. And every system is just as sick as the people who create it. All right. If you look in your heart, you know. Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. Yes. And the organization you are a part, uh, you are part of, and that you create will also have sinful aspects to it. But but hear me on this. Prudence for the Christian is his willingness to engage even the structures and the systems. And as God calls to say, I'll go into that realm because I carry with me the Lordship of Christ and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And I can achieve good there. I can help them in this community effort. I can do this good thing and I'll seek to be prudent in how I do it. Prudence is in part the partner of good politics. And you're fooling yourself if you don't think you're ever going to be involved in politics. Because it touches everything, including the church. It's how we do our work. It's how we interact. It's how we organize and engage. And the give and take of our structures needs you making the godly contribution. You know, we've got a Supreme Court that is wholly made up of uh, people who are either Catholic or Jewish. There's not a Protestant on the court now. You say, well, that's none of my concern. I hope there's some young person sitting in these pews thinking, I'm going to get a law degree and I'm going to try to get into the judiciary. I'm not going to spurn that realm because it is tough and you have to make hard decisions. I'm going to go in there with the call of God on my heart. And the same is true in business and corporate life. I think sometimes here in New Orleans, we who enter as reformers, who go into the schools or into our public structures, and we enter as reformers and we say, we're going to make a difference. In two years, we're just burned out. I think I saw that in Mayor Ray Nagan, whom I knew fairly well and became the mayor with an agenda to clean up City Hall. Everybody remembers that. In his first few weeks, they were handcuffing people at the back of City Hall who were selling break tags out the back door. And we all applauded him. And then he hit that wall of jello. That is the structure of corruption. And trying to change things in education, in politics, in government, and other systems is like swimming in jello. It's hard, hard work, and it takes longer than a minute or an hour or even two years. And I would challenge you who seek to be reformers and make a difference in the sphere God's called you to, that you exercise prudence and patience and stay at the task and don't give up and for heaven's sakes, don't compromise the values God's given you. Amen? Don't end up becoming what you abhorred. Don't go into this fear if you're not anchored in the honesty and integrity and love of neighbor and love of God that keeps you steady when you are tempted to succumb. Corruption has such a pervasive effect on a community because it breeds distrust of the structure itself. The government itself is suspect. When people take bribes. That's why the Bible says God hates a bribe. God hates a bribe. It corrupts the whole system, not just the individual. I am challenging you, brothers and sisters, that God has saved you. And Jesus has taught you, let thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He has said, pray like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help me go into my world praying for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done in my place, in my time, on this bank of the Jordan River or wherever I am God's called me to be. Let your will come here. And let me not get tired and weary in well-doing. And keep my eye upon the goal, which is the prize God has promised us in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may look back upon a life of imprudence and think, oh, what a fool I've been, the poor decisions I've made, the relationships I've lost, the dollars I've lost, the things I've confused. Paul says, forget what's behind. Hey, it's a good word. Forgetting the things that are behind. Maybe some of those things are good. Amen, that's good. Maybe some of those things are tough. Okay, that's good. Forget what is behind and press forward to the things that are ahead. Get oriented like God is oriented toward the future that he's bringing, which is a glorious and wonderful future. Do not give up on yourself, nor the people that you love, nor the community of which you are a part. A prudent man is able to head into his world with his back straight and his step firm, knowing his calling, knowing his purpose, knowing his values, and knowing that through God all things are what? Possible. With God, nothing is impossible. Let's bow together. I know something's up with you. I know you've got decisions to make. Circumstances that seem confusing. And I know that God is calling you to be faithful to Him and His purpose for your life. Would you commit to Him the thing that is troublesome in your mind and heart? Would you repent of the folly that maybe has plagued you? Would you ask God to give you the wisdom that you need for the days ahead? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, what a prudent and wise thing to do. To receive Christ as Lord, to let him have his way as John the Baptist did. You could receive Christ this very day. Lord, we pray now that you would have your way in us, in the choices we make, the decisions we make. That we would be committed to you, empowered by you. Lord, even in this hour, give us honesty, courage, and prudence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.